Good morning, everybody. It is so great to be here with you this morning. Wow, what a difference from having only ever preached online. I can now see eyes. <laughs> so you all look lovely. But um, yes, so over the last three weeks, we've been looking at Isaiah 49 to 51 as part of our Servant Song series. And I'm conscious that there are a few new people here this morning. Last week, Nathan gave a really good overview of where we are up to with Isaiah. But I'm just going to quickly recap where we're at. In chapters 49 to 55, we are introduced to a figure called God's servant, who's going to fulfill God's mission and do what Israel has failed to do. He's going to restore the people of Israel back to their God and become God's light to the nations. And this section in Isaiah, the servant songs, is marked by a series of prose or poetry, commonly known as songs. And we've been asking the question over the last few weeks, who is the servant figure that Isaiah is referring to? But it got me thinking, and it reminded me of a popular TV program, very highbrow, called The Masked Singer. <laughs> and I've brought with me today some examples of The Masked Singer to share with you, some particular favourites of mine. This show is where celebrities compete to remain anonymous in a singing competition. And each week, we ask the question, who is behind the mask? And we're given clues to their identity. So I brought three of my particular favourites. Far on the left, this is Banger and Chips. Um, and so each week we were given a clue to their identity. And Banger and Chips went on to win Series 2. If you're a fan, you'll know that's Joss Stone. In the middle, this was the masked singer referred to as Traffic Cone. <laughs> Traffic Cone was famous uh, for a song they sang as a child. The song was part of a cartoon called The Snowman, and the song was Walking in the Air. And it was, of course, Alid Jones, <laughs> dressed up as a traffic cone. <laughs> I know, it was brilliant. And finally, um, we have a, this was my particular favourite. This is a character called Donuts. Donuts was not a professional singer. Donuts was, in fact, a striker for the mighty Newcastle United, but also for the England team. And it was turned out to be Michael Owen. <laughs> so it was great. So I just thought that really resonated with us, with what we've been doing over the last week. We've been asking that question, who is the servant in Isaiah? Who is behind the mask? In the week one, um, Jenny spoke to us and gave us a clue to the identity of the servant from song one. That was the Holy Spirit-filled king. In week two, Pete spoke to us about the prophetic servant. Last week, we had the third clue from Nathan, the obedient servant, or he helpfully reframed it as the hopeful servant. And now, in the final week of our series in song four, the clue to their identity is the submissive servant, the substitute. Many people have interpreted these songs in different ways. But for us as a church and where we land is that we are concluding that the identity 
of the servant is Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. If you're into modern technology, open your app and turn to Isaiah 53. The final song of Song 4 actually starts in Isaiah 52, verse 12, and there are five sections or stanzas in this song. This text is so rich, and we could spend weeks just looking at Song 4, but we just do not have the time this morning. And so I want to just pick some key areas that we're going to focus in, and the first of that is the opening verses of 53, chapter 53, verses 1 to 3. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. The servant described here is not beautiful, is not majestic. He is an ordinary man. He is met with opposition and suffering, and people hid their faces. The witnesses talking here maybe did not persecute the servant actively, but by turning away, they are complicit in that. The servant will be rejected by his own people. And the servant is not what Israel expects him to be. As we've acknowledged, today is Palm Sunday and marks the start of Holy Week. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and the crowds cheered greeting him like a king, expecting him to conquer Israel's enemies and be seated on a physical throne. Anticipation is high. But Jesus did not fulfill these expectations. And in verse 3, we see the prophetic events that Isaiah talks about being played out. Jesus is judged unfairly, he's despised, and he's rejected by men. Isaiah prophesied these events. But more than this, Jesus tells his disciples that that's what's going to happen. In Matthew 26, 1 to 5, he tells them of the end. And I wonder how the disciples felt when Jesus tells them that the end was near and it was not the end that they were hoping for. I wonder if there's been a moment in your life when the expectation has not met reality. So, like we've said, it's the start of Holy Week. It's a time when Christians remind themselves of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And in verses 4 to 6 of 53, we see the crux of Song 4. Put the slide up for me, Scott, please. Thank you all. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, 
have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it's in these verses that we learn how the servant is going to restore God's kingdom. The servant becomes the substitute. The servant becomes the substitute. The concept of sacrificial substitution is nothing new for the Israelites. It was enshrined in the law of Moses that animals such as goats and lambs would take the place or atone for the sins of the people. And in verse 7, after, Isaiah refers to the servant as the lamb. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so did not open his mouth. And this image would have resonated with the Israelites. And what takes place in song four is that the witnesses in this song realize that it's they themselves that deserve that death, but that the servant took their place. And this parallels the crucifixion that as Christians we remember on Good Friday this week. Jesus' death is the fulfillment of God's plan to renew and restore his people and his creation to him. This passage of Isaiah is referred to in the New Testament. It's referred to in Peter, uh, in 1 Peter 2, 21 to 25. And it's here as an, written as an encouragement to Christians in the midst of suffering. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep, wandered away. But now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. At the time of Peter's letter, it was written AD 62 to 64, and Christians throughout the Roman Empire were being tortured and persecuted for their faith. It was written to a specific people at a specific time and to a specific place. But remember, it cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them. It cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them. So no, we are not being persecuted or tortured in York, but I would say that we do all endure suffering. The charity, Prayer Space in Schools, runs an activity called Big Questions. Children are invited to write one question for God onto a piece of paper. And the most popular question is, God, if all things are possible for you, why can't you take suffering away? And when I wasn't a Christian, that was my big question. I would ask, why does bad stuff happen to good people? And maybe you're on our current Alpha course, and that's your big question. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, and it's still your big question. It was certainly a question asked of Peter's contemporaries 
and of Jesus. I'm absolutely not a theological expert, but suffering on the variety of levels, I would argue, is inevitable for us all. And when I talk about suffering, I'm talking about more than physical pain. It's emotional, it's psychological, it's relationship, it's grief, it's loss. The Bible gives many reasons for suffering, but I'm going to pick out four main points that I think are the key ones. Primarily, suffering is because we live in a broken world. We do not live in Eden. We live in the wilderness, where sin entered the world and fractured the cosmos. A suffering world is not the world that God designed for us but it is the world in which we currently live. Some suffering is just a mystery. The Bible is not a linear textbook that answers each of your questions. It exists to show us who God is, and seeking our saviour, we receive comfort. But sometimes it's just chalked up as a mystery. Sometimes we suffer as a result of the wickedness of others, and sometimes we suffer as a result of our own foolishness. So if suffering, if I'm saying that suffering is inevitable, why doesn't God intervene? God didn't step in to save his son. He permitted him to die on the cross in the most brutal of ways for the sin of the world. Or as I have put it, he is pierced for our transgressions, and by his wounds we are healed. The actions, the historical actions of Jesus and the prophecies of Isaiah point to a God who knows suffering. And on an individual basis, suffering burns away false hopes and expectations and exposes idols that we did not know were there. Jenny spoke about this in week one. Idolatry, it's putting your hope in something that just cannot bear the weight of it. The pastor and author, Tim Keller, puts it like this. Suffering dispels the illusion that we have the strength and the competence to rule our own lives and save ourselves. The paradox in scripture is that suffering actually deepens our faith and makes it more genuine. And to validate that statement, I'm going to reference a time in my life when I was in the middle of the paradox. In September 2015, my husband and I suffered a pregnancy loss. It was an ectopic pregnancy, and it just went undiagnosed and was, yeah, caused lasting trauma. Prior to this, I knew and loved Jesus. Um, we both, yeah. But after that period, which was very dark days, um, after that period of suffering, my faith grew and my knowledge and love for Jesus deepened. Did I wish that we didn't go through it? Yeah, absolutely. Was it difficult? Yeah, it really was. And it took me some time to sing the songs in church after that, it's really difficult to be in that dark place and come here each week and sing that God is good. I kind of also felt a level of shame around that. 
But despite all of those things, I wanted to share it because I realized through that period of suffering that there is hope, hope in Jesus. And on the darkest of dark days, that's what I clung to. Jesus was and is the light in the darkness. So if we're going to acknowledge that suffering affects all of us, how do we, as a church, respond to those who are suffering? I would say the first thing is just to gather around each other. Jesus is our example in his approach to those who are suffering, and there are many examples of this in the Bible. He approaches those suffering with compassion and with empathy. He does not approach them with cliches, or this will make a great testimony one day, or just quotes from popular culture that things will get better, because you know what? They might actually not. So I would say we need to meet people where they are in their story. Just be empathetic. Lend a listening ear. And be genuine. Remind them that being a Christian does not give you a free pass to avoid suffering. We all live in the wilderness. But what makes us different is that we have the hope in Jesus. So when we were learning about the impact of a national, natural disaster or the anguish of war, or we as individuals or no people who are sitting in pain and loss, it's hard and it hurts. But we can remember a saviour who knows our pain, who knows the fracturing of the universe and the darkness of this world. And Jesus gives us more than this. And in fact, here's my point. At the start of Holy Week, we are building towards the ultimate culmination of hope. We can look to the cross this week. We can look to the resurrection next Sunday and see a saviour who willingly stood and died in our place, who substituted himself for us so that we might live in the freedom of God's love and grace. You might be here this morning not able to sing the songs. You might be in the place where your reality of your suffering isn't what you expected. Or you might have some really heavy bags and some boxes to set down at the foot of the cross. But you being here today or tuning in online is not an accident. You are seen and known and still loved beyond all measure. The band wants to make their way back up. I'm just going to conclude this morning. So I'm keenly aware that that's probably a really difficult and triggering topic for some. But what I do want to say is that this morning, if you don't know that there's a Jesus who substituted himself for you, or if you don't know what Isaiah and Peter mean when they say that by his wounds you are healed then there's an invitation for you this morning. And in the time when we come to sing the songs and in the response after this talk, come and find one of us at the front. Seek out the prayer team at the end, or if you're online, click in the chat. But do not leave today without exploring that invitation. I'll just come in to talk to one of us if you're in that place.